0: If you are a guest today, I want to say welcome in Christ's name. Uh, It's really, really good to have you here. My name is Brian. I'm the pastor here at Faith Lutheran Church. And as Jeff said at the top of the service, uh, we are in the middle of a sermon series called Better Together. And the big idea is that God has created each one of us unique and special. God has really important work for all of us to do in God's kingdom on this earth. But the truth of it is, oftentimes we fail to live up to our God-given potential because we don't think we can. We don't have the right gifts. We don't have the right skills. We maybe don't even have the, the right personalities uh, to make a difference in the world. And so, we, we think to ourselves, well, I'm just going to do what I do quietly, um, and maybe it'll make a difference. Maybe it won't. But I believe that God has a really important role for each one of us to play. And when we can walk to this journey together, we can help each other see how God has made each one of us unique and special, and we can help one another see each other's blind spots because we all have blind spots, those things in our lives that other people see that we don't necessarily see. And isn't it irritating, isn't it frustrating to be around people who are uh, not self-aware? They just go through life doing what they do, and they don't really know themselves all that well, but everybody else does. And we thought we're just going to get real honest this summer and spend some time talking about uh, who God has made each one of us uh, to be. You know, there was a a theologian during the Protestant Reformation, a guy by the name of John Calvin. John Calvin. And he said this 500 years ago. He said, to know God, you need to know yourself. And if you want to know yourself better, you need to get to know God better. What Calvin so clearly understood was this idea that there is this connection between us and God. There's something mysterious. There's something spiritual. And if you want to get to know God and understand the heartbeat, the mind of God, we need to dig a little bit deeper and understand ourselves. And so there's this great and wonderful connection between God and us. And so, as Jeff said, uh, today we are going to look at uh, a story, a story from uh, the New Testament, the Gospel of Matthew. And if you've got your Bibles, I want to invite you to go to Matthew 3 at this time. Matthew 3. John was a great guy. John the Baptist, we know him. Not John the Lutheran, not John the Presbyterian, not John the Methodist, not uh, John the Episcopalian, John the Baptist. But in reality, uh, he was a baptizer is probably a much better name for him. John the Baptizer and each week we're looking at a different character in the New Testament. And as we look and examine their life, we look at the, the, the brokenness in their life, the sinfulness in their life, but also the giftedness in their life. And my hope is, my prayer is, is that each week as we look at these different characters, we might look at somebody's life story from the New Testament and go, Whoa! God used them to do something really extraordinary in this world, and they were messed up, they were jacked up, they had sin, they had brokenness in their life, and if God could use a person like that, God might just be able to use a person like me to do some really important work in the life of the world. And as Jeff said, we're using this tool called the Enneagram Assessment. And if you haven't taken it yet, um, I do have some of those bookmarks. I'll give you one on your way out. Uh, Some of the assessments are free. Uh, Some will cost a little bit of money. But again, this is just a snapshot for you to be able to learn just a little bit more about yourself. Uh, And the Enneagram is like the Myers-Briggs. It's like the DISC assessment or any number of these personality tests. That's not who you are. You are you, but these personality hel- assessments help us just gain a little glimpse, a possible understanding of who God made me and you to be, uh, and then to talk with one another about, hey, what do you think? Does, does this kind of reflect me a little bit, and, and what are my blind spots? It's really meant to kind of be a, a way to jumpstart some of the conversation to really help us understand ourselves. And are you guys enjoying this book this summer? Anybody reading this book or just me? This is supposed to be a fun, winsome way to bring the Enneagram to life. Uh, This guy's an Episcopalian priest, Ian Cron, and uh, I I think he's very uh, interesting, engaging, uh, and brings just a bit of levity uh, to the conversation. Everybody got your Bibles open to Matthew 3? It's okay if you want to look on your phone uh, or on your tablet. Uh, I like uh, to use a a good old-fashioned paper Bible. So, uh, if if you're at Matthew 3, uh, let's bow our heads and invite the Holy Spirit to uh, speak to us. Oh, God, we thank you. Uh, We thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you for this man, John the Baptist. We thank you, God, for creating him and creating us, unique and special, full of all sorts of opportunities, but also, God, uh, with many, many blind spots. So, Lord, speak to us this morning. Continue to reveal yourself to us. uh, As Isaiah, uh, the, the prophet, pointed out long, long ago, and invites us to make straight the path through your Son, Jesus Christ. And now, God, may the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. For you are indeed our rock and our redeemer. Amen. In the early 1990s, uh, my wife Cindy and I had the great opportunity uh, to live in the Washington, D.C. area. And uh, during that time, uh, we were oftentimes out and about, uh, both doing ministry, but then also visiting museums and monuments and all the sites of Washington, D.C. Very fun place to visit and, and, and spend some time. And every now and then, as we were traveling about uh, Washington, D.C., traffic up ahead would stop. And pretty soon, we would see blue lights uh, going all around and uh, police cars up ahead stopping traffic, and we'd kind of watch. And then pretty soon along would come uh, this motorcade of motorcycles, more blue lights. And then we'd see these black uh, vehicles coming along, probably Secret Service uh, moving uh, through town. And then at just right the right moment, we would see this great big limousine, this big black limousine with a couple American flags right around the headlights. And in that moment, we knew that either George H.W. Bush or Dan Quayle was doing what presidents and vice presidents of the United States of America do. They travel about, and as they travel about, they travel about with this entourage, with this motorcade, And you can't just kind of passively sit there and go, oh, there goes the president or the vice president. I mean, whatever you're doing in that moment, all of a sudden you're starting to get the attention, the attention is starting to rise within your body. And you've got this growing anticipation that someone with extraordinary power, the most powerful men and women in the world are about ready to pass by. And you might start to even feel just a little bit of adrenaline in your gut, whether you like the president or not. They are powerful people indeed. And this is for sure the role that John the Baptist played. The blue lights, the motorcade, the motorcycle, the Secret Service, and the ominous black uh, uh, vehicles coming through, getting you ready to experience the Messiah. And God needed someone like John the Baptist because it had been a long time since God had spoken to one of the prophets. In fact, historians tell us it was was about 400 years. It's known as the 400 years of silence where God had not spoken to one of the prophets. And God's people had become weary. They had become worn out. Uh, They had become complacent. And many people started to wonder, gee, I wonder if God has forgotten us. I wonder if God even cares about us. And many people were so complacent spiritually, it's almost as if they had started falling asleep. And God needed a very special person to wake them up, to just get the lights flashing, to get the anticipation going, to get the people ready because the Messiah was about to come. And so let's look at Matthew 3 as Matthew records John's role in all this. Matthew 3. In those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who has spoken through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him, Now, John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Now, what you got to know about John is uh, at this point in time, he had probably spent about two decades just living out in the wilderness, living out in the desert. Think how long your hair and your beard would be at that point in time. Think at how tattered and dirty your clothes would be at that point in time. Out in the desert, there's not a lot of places to take a bath. I'm guessing John did not take a lot of baths. He probably didn't comb his hair much. His his beard was probably out to here. He was a wild man, and he didn't smell good. And John ate bugs is what the scripture tells us. And I, I, it doesn't tell us this, but I, th- I don't think John brushed his teeth very often either. He's probably got like bug guts and bug juice in his teeth. As he rolls into town and he's got this message. I mean, John is a very offensive looking guy. Think of a desert caveman. He walks in smelly and hairy and tattered and, and all the rest. And he's like, hey, everybody get ready. And it's not just how offensive John looked, but it's also his volume. I think John was a loud talker. Have you ever been around a loud talker before? You're talking to him and you're just like, whoa, tone it down a little bit, right? I mean, sometimes you're having a conversation, again, somebody who's not aware of the volume of their voice and they're talking to you and you're just like, oh, this kind of hurts my ears, right? I think that was John. He was a loud talker even when he was close. He was just out there, and he was offensive. He looked offensive, and he sounded offensive. And so he rolls into town with this message, Everybody get ready. Now, the past couple of weeks, uh, as we've shared with you time and time again, the, the Enneagram did not exist in ancient times. Nobody took the Enneagram and said, oh, this is what I am on the Enneagram uh, assessment. What we're doing this summer is we're making our best guesses about these New Testament uh, personalities, these New Testament characters, and the Enneagram. We don't know what they were uh, on the uh, Enneagram assessment. But I'm pretty sure John... The baptizer was an Enneagram Eight, because Enneagram Eights—they are out there. They're big, they're bold, they're courageous, and they're not—as Jeff said—they are not afraid to speak the truth. They're the people who just—they they walk into a room and they suck up all the oxygen, right? Because they've got this aura of. They've got this aura of, um, I'm here. They've got this aura uh, of, hey, I got something to say. They are straight talkers. They are decisive. They're oftentimes charismatic. And we know them, uh, according to the Enneagram, as the challengers. The challengers, or those who are assertive. And they're big in personality. The challengers are the proverbial bull in the china shop, right? And you either love them or you hate them because you either think the china needs to be broken or you think to yourself, you know, I think we could have done it another way. We didn't need to break all the china in the china shop. And that's kind of how we land with uh, the, the, these, these big challenger personalities. You love them or you hate them, uh, and they always break the mold for better or for worse. And of course, as you might imagine, uh, there are many uh, throughout history, uh, challengers, Enneagram 8s, who go into politics. People like Winston Churchill, Fidel Castro, and yes, Donald Trump, nobody's surprised today, right? That Donald Trump is an Enneagram 8. They just walk into the room and they just, they just, they, they break stuff, right? That's what they do. They're the bull in the China shop. You know, if you go to Hollywood, they're the, the big stage presence in Hollywood. They're, they're, they're the John Waynes, uh, the, the Cowboys, the Jack Nicholsons, the Clint Eastwoods. And if you turn on the television, there are these big personality stars like Rosie O'Donnell, right? They got something to say, like it or not. Roseanne Barr, loud talker, right? Can we all just agree that she's a loud talker? That's, just how, that's who God made her. She just talks loud. And even if they're not a loud talker, they, they've got this aura, this presence about them. And I think of Barbara Walters who's just this really strong personality. These Enneagram 8s are also, of course, very uh, big in the business world. They're the John D. Rockefellers, highly successful people. They're the Steve Jobs. They're the Mark Cubans. In fact, they're anybody on the show Shark Tank. Anybody ever watch Shark Tank? They're the Sharks. Right They're the hard hitting, heavy driving uh, men and women who get stuff done, break it or not, they're gonna get stuff done. That's the Enneagram Eights, and you know when they're healthy, they can be uh, some of the most extraordinary, inspiring people the world has ever seen. They can do some incredibly uh, th- uh, good things, and, and they're hard charging and they're fast, and they're the ones you want to get uh, who are gonna get some stuff done. And so you give it to an Enneagram 8 and say, okay, go, and you just know that it's going to be 100% of their energy moving and moving and moving. But Enneagram 8s, when they're unhealthy, can also be some of the most destructive, hurtful people to walk on the planet. And oftentimes, in an unhealthy Enneagram 8, they will create collateral damage and they may or not even care about it. And so, like all the Enneagram types, there's a healthy side and an unhealthy side to their personalities. And for the Enneagram 8, their role is to gain the attention, to draw the, 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 uh, the focus of the energy in the room and bring it to them so that something can happen. And that was John's role. John the baptizer's role. That was his call in life, is to get people's attention. Verse 5. People went out to John the baptizer from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptized him. Uh, in the Jordan River. Now, I want to just stop there for a moment. I don't want us to miss this detail. The Jordan River uh, is is not just like the Mackinac River, the Illinois River, the Mississippi River, any rivers that we kind of know of. The Jordan River was a highly symbolic river. This was the river that over a thousand years earlier that Joshua and the Israelites, God's people, crossed over into the promised land. And so, in this moment, as on the dividing line of the Jordan River, as John is baptizing people in that river, it's a way of proclaiming something new is about ready to happen. Something extraordinary is getting ready to happen. God is about ready to show up and do something new. That's what the Jordan River uh, uh, represented uh, for these people. It was about God's presence. God was going to wash people and do something new. Get ready. Pay attention. And so that's what's going on at the Jordan River. But when John the Baptizer saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees, the religious people, coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think that you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is ready at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. So some of the most powerful people in John's day, they come out to see what all the commotion is, what's going on. And John does not uh, shrink back. He does not... In fact, he bows up. John walks out and he meets them and he calls them a a, a bunch of snakes. And then he tears into them and and, and says, "You know what? You're not just a bunch of snakes, but you know what? I'm God's getting ready with an axe to cut down the tree." And they know exactly what John is talking about. God, That God is going to cut down the tree, that, that which is bad, that which is evil, that which is fleed uh, from God, and it's going to, they're going to be cut down, and he says, thrown into the fire. John is incredibly bold uh, in what he is speaking on this day. And this is one of the things I love about Enneagram Aids is that they are not afraid to speak truth to power. Most of the rest of us who are not Enneagram 8s, we wrestle with that a little bit, or maybe we wrestle with it a lot. Because Enneagram 8s, you people can be really, really intimidating. You show up and we're like, oh, hey, you know, when we kind of step back a little bit. But what an Enneagram 8, when they, what they like nothing better is to encounter other Enneagram 8s power on power. And they love to just kind of go at it, um, and and they feel so enlivened and enriched and fulfilled with this this, this kind of power on power. That's what they respect. Enneagrams 8s respect people who kind of have this power, this aura of power. And so you guys, if if you're an Enneagram 8, you just got to know that you're a little bit intimidating to the rest of us. And we might just be a little bit scared of you. Because your power is just, it's pretty extraordinary in your confidence and and your ability to speak truth. And John is not afraid. He doesn't just, you know, kind of shirk back. He goes out there and he speaks the truth of the human condition. He says, folks, here's the deal. You all have cancer. You're dying. And the only way that you can uh, have this cancer cured is by receiving the antidote. That antidote is Jesus Christ, the Messiah, who's about ready to come. See, the only way we can cure or tackle any disease is by naming it exactly what it is. Even if we don't like it, even if it terrifies us, we've got to look at whatever the disease and say, that's what it is, and this is what happens. It causes death. That's what disease does, is it causes death, of course. And John just just nail, nails it, he just proclaims it. He's getting the people ready, and he uses this extraordinary language to get people ready. You Enneagram eights, you've got this deep something in you that you see that the world is not right. That your families are not right, that the community uh, communities are not right, that the church is not right, you you see all that's wrong in the world, and you, you it just it just it sits here and it stirs, and it eats at you, and it frustrates you because everybody else is silent or they're they mamby pamby about it, right? They're wishy washy about it, but you Enneagram eights, you you challengers, you're like, wait a second, there's something wrong with the church. There's something wrong with our communities. There's something wrong with our world. And let me tell you what it is. And then you go right between the eyes, right? That's what you eights do. And the rest of us are like, yeah, I agree with him. Whatever she said, yep, I agree with that. It's a wonderful gift that God has given to you. I think if you uh, have a life verse, it might be Revelation 3.16 where uh, the the disciple John uh, speaks to uh, us and and the church. And he says, because you are neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. You're not hot or cold, you're wishy-washy. What's wrong with the rest of you? And part of the issue for you Enneagram eights, you challengers, is that the rest of us are really frustrating to you because you perceive us as wishy-washy. And you know what? You may be right. But God has given you a great gift of speaking truth, of speaking it boldly, of speaking it courageously. John continues in verse 11. John the baptizer. I baptize you with water for repentance, he says to the crowds. But after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not even worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and uh, he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. You know, one of the reasons why I think John uh, is a healthy eight, a healthy challenger, because as you look at these few verses over and over and over, the message is clear. I'm going to tell you the truth, but the truth is not about me. I'm going to say some really hard words, but those hard words are not about me. Everything that John does, he's pointing to Jesus, the Messiah. John is like this signpost going, here he comes, here he comes. John is that guy with the blue lights and the motorcade getting ready. It's not about John the Baptist. It's about Jesus, the Messiah. And I want you Enneagram 8s to hear that message for your life as well. You got a lot of power. You got a lot of strength. You've got the fortitude and the courage to speak truth. But it's not about you. When you are a healthy 8, a healthy challenger, you make life about others. You make life about Jesus Christ. And this is what John the Baptizer does. I met another John. Uh, his name's John Blend. Uh, I met him about 15 years ago. I was interviewing for a, a church position as a pastor in Atlanta, Georgia. And uh, I met John at a coffee shop. And uh, the moment I walked into the coffee shop, uh, John was there. He was this uh, giant of a man, and we shook hands, and almost immediately I knew I was in the presence of power and authority. By the way, remember when we used to shake hands? The world has changed. But when you shake someone's hand, when we used to shake someone's hand, that says something, right? You know everything. Instantly, so much about that person. And John grabbed my hand firmly, but not overly tight, not in a domineering way. But he was a powerful man, both physically, in spirit, and emotionally. And for the next three minutes, I deduced very, very quickly as he was interviewing me that John uh, had uh, become a very successful person somewhere along the way. And I learned uh, over the next few years that John had, in fact, become a very successful uh, businessman through the years. And at some point in time, John had to decide, do I just keep going up the corporate ladder for a bigger paycheck and more power, or am I going to live my life for someone and something in a bigger cause? John was a deep man of faith, an extraordinary, he continues to be an extraordinary man of faith. And back in the 1990s, John had decided uh, that once he had kind of gotten to where God, he felt like God had called him, that God was calling him to something bigger and something better to do with his life. And so, he, he didn't fully walk away from the business, but he bought 160 acres in the North Georgia mountains. It was a big farm, and he began a ministry called Goshen Valley Boys Ranch. And John recognized that there are young boys growing up in our society today, primarily living in foster homes, in foster care, because their families are so unstable. And John said, I'm just going to create a ministry where it's this place separated from the hustle and bustle of Atlanta, Georgia, out in the wilderness, these rolling hills. It's going to be on a farm, and we're just going to pour into, love these boys, 8 to 18, and and that's what John has been doing uh, for the last couple decades. In fact, when I was uh, serving as a pastor in Atlanta, Georgia, it was one of my favorite ministries and places to go to visit these 40 boys, gaining hope and gaining healing through their lives. See, John did not, John Blend did not have to do that. He kept, he could have kept doing what he was doing, being a successful uh, businessman. But he said, no, God's got a higher calling for me in my life. And I would go to uh, Goshen Valley Boys Ranch on occasion, and I would spend time with the boys, with the house parents, with the teachers, and John Blend was always right in the middle, listening and pouring into those young men, leveraging his platform of power and authority and all the resources he had with extraordinary gentleness so that these boys felt safe. And they could live and grow up in a world that would actually give them a chance at life. See, that's what a healthy eight does. They look at their resources and they ask themselves the questions, how can I use what God has given me to bless others? Now, not all Enneagram eights are healthy, like John Blend. Most of us are somewhere in the middle. We're the the yellow flag, right? We've got areas to grow. And so this morning, I want to close um, by giving you three ways, if you are an Enneagram 8, to uh, consider how you might grow, how God might be speaking to you in a blind spot of your life. So number one, you could even write this in the margin of your Bible uh, of Matthew 3. Number one. Speak the truth in love. Speak the truth in love. You're really, really good at speaking the truth. But you struggle speaking the truth in love sometimes. And I think of all the nine Enneagram types, you might be the most misunderstood Enneagram type. Because you speak the truth, that's who God made you to be. But people don't always understand the love in which you are speaking. And so Enneagram Eights, you challengers, I want to invite you to work really hard at kind of doing, going the extra mile to communicate that truth, whatever that truth might be from God's word or, or whatever's going on in the world, but to do it in love. You gotta work really, really hard because the rest of us, we don't hear the truth in love. We hear the truth in shouting. We hear the truth in anger. We don't necessarily hear your passion. We just hear somebody who's got their nose bent out of shape. We don't hear necessarily uh, all the 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 passion and the and the wonder and the awe and just this desire in your heart to make things better. What we hear is somebody who's just lost their mind and they're angry about stuff, and so they're yakking at us and they're yelling at us, and the volume is really really loud. So I just want to say, you know what, you enneagram eights, speak the truth in love. I think it'll help the rest of us really hear in a much better way the truth that God has called you uh, to speak to us. You know, one of the other things about Enneagram 8s is uh, you know you're right, right? You know you're right. And here's the deal. Usually you are right, but sometimes you're wrong. You're not always right. A little bit of humility, challengers, is going to take you a long, long way. You know, I don't know if this fits or not, but um, uh, John the Baptist, I'm going to just flash forward in terms of what's going on. So after this whole scene, Jesus shows up, and John says, Hey, behold the Lamb of God. John baptizes Jesus. Jesus goes out in the wilderness and does three years of public ministry. John goes off and does his thing for a very short time. Because John continues to speak truth to Herod. He continues to speak truth to the politicians. He continues to speak truth to everyone around him. And pretty soon, John the Baptist is in jail because he's been arrested for speaking the truth. And John's ministry is actually very, very short. Jesus spent three years in ministry. John maybe spent about three months in ministry. And as scripture goes on and kind of tells us and explains the rest of John's story, John's story ends in jail. And there he is kind of doing his punishment for speaking the truth. And John is ultimately executed for speaking the truth. And just before John is executed, he's reflecting on his life a little bit and thinking to himself, gee, I wonder if I was right. John's life is just filled with doubt just before he gets his head chopped off. And I don't, I don't want that to be you. Speak the truth, but speak the truth in love. I don't want you to have the same kind of regrets that John had at the end of his life. Now, maybe this is how God wanted John to do it all, just to go out there. Hey, you you brood of vipers, right? Maybe that's what John was supposed to do. I'm not sure that John the Baptist is here today in any of us. I think all of us would do really, really well to tone it down a little bit when it comes to speaking the truth, but to truly do it in love. Number two. Use your forcefulness, use your aura, use your strength, use your challenging personality to make a difference in the world, to build others up rather than tear them down. You know, if you've ever watched a building uh, here, maybe in Bloomington Normal, and uh, they're getting ready to, they, they tear it down and then they build a new building. Isn't it interesting to watch? It takes uh, just a few days, maybe a week to tear a building down. But when they, once they get the ground all leveled and prepared to build a new building there, it takes so much longer to build it back up. See, the truth is, it's so easy to tear things down. It's so easy to tear people down. It takes very little creativity to tear others down. It takes very little smarts to tear other people down. What takes smarts, what takes creativity, what takes energy is to build people up. That's the hard work. And so for you Enneagram 8s who have this extraordinary power Use your power and leverage it to build other people up, but it's going to be hard. It's going to take so much longer. You're going to have to be patient. And number three, surrender your life to Jesus daily. Now, for you Enneagram 8s, you challengers, when I use the word surrender, that's like an anathema to your vocabulary, right? I'm not surrendering. That's not what I do. I go full force, I go head on, look out, here I come. But Jesus comes on the scene, just like John the Baptist, and he says, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus says, surrender your life. You Enneagram 8s, you challengers, you are powerful people. But you're not the most powerful people on the planet. Not even the president and their motorcade and the blue lights. Jesus is. And Jesus looks at every single one of us, all nine Enneagram types, and he says, get on your knees and surrender to me. And I know everything in your life uh, chafes against this idea of surrendering. God made you to charge, to go on the offensive. And Jesus says, just drop to a knee and bow before me. And then what you need to do tomorrow is do it again and do it again and do it again. And I know for you Enneagram 8s, you challengers, that some of the hardest work that you have to do in your life is to surrender to Jesus because you view it as failure. You view it as losing. You view it as uh, you're on your back. Jesus says, no, I'm with you. And in your dying, in your surrendering, I will rescue you and lift you up. And only in your surrender can you achieve ultimate victory. Let's pray.